listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. It is another hot night in the Nerd Cave. It's not it's, that hot here. <laughs> no, it feels like it feels like, like kind of like an oven. Yeah. Like I feel like if we leave dough in here, we're gonna have bread by the end of the we're recording. We're literally like yeast about to rise. Yes. In the ole, oven that is life. Ole, yeah. Ole, ole. That was so. That was beautifully <laughs> metaphoric. Thank you. <laughs> he lives in you. <laughs> Deep thoughts by Roxy Handy. <laughs> You're welcome, world. <laughs> in every. <laughs> I'm just going to start singing The Lion King. Do it. Oh, my God. Today was too hot. I can't deal with this. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm Canadian. I shouldn't be subjected to this yeah. sort of tomfoolery. My Sp- body's not designed for this. Speaking of of uh, musical theater, I'm kind of bummed right now because the Tonys are on right now, or they're going to be on at about 8 o'clock and we're going to be recording. Yeah, you can and record it. But, you know, I'm really excited, though, because Rocky is nominated and you're talking about like a major film that got translated into a musical and they've got like all the classic songs you would expect from the soundtrack like nice. they, they worked eye the tiger as a, into, Did they to, really? as a musical member That's yeah awesome. brian moriarty i've said it once and i'll say it again get your own fucking podcast about <laughs> theater. <laughs> i tried to make it relevant because it's a movie Personally, I'm waiting for the stage adaptation of Enter the Dragon. That should be quite interesting. <laughs> Alan, go home. Alan, it's just tough to find so someone long. who's really good at martial arts yeah. and, and really good at jazz tap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I'm sorry. Like, uh, from what I have seen of uh, Spider-Man musical, which Brian, I know you've seen it. I just, to me, when it's like dance incorporated with fighting, it just looks absolutely cheese balls. There's this type of martial arts called um, XMA, and it's basically choreographed dance fighting. Mm. And it's such oh, a like really, capoeira. Like, intense, but no, but like with white people. Capoeira. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was about to say, capoeira is pretty awesome. It has like yeah. techno music, and you always start on the ground, and yeah. you rise slowly with like, ready for like the, the part before the beat drops, and then when the beat drops, you basically like lose your shit yeah. and do all like uh-huh. chops and kicks and punches right. to like stream EDM. It's the dumbest thing uh, I've ever seen. And Capoeira is supposed to, to look like dance because it was originally invented in a place where people weren't allowed to learn martial arts. They yeah. had to cover it up. So that's why. To be honest, to be fair, the moves are really cool. Like they're yeah. able to do like spin kicks and like butterfly kicks or whatever the martial arts moves are called like in the air. They're basically like acrobats. I know and... what you're talking about, Roxy. Yeah. Basically what you're saying is up, down, up, down, left, right, X, select. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> Those <laughs> yes. are martial arts for us. There for me, go. it's all about the down forward punch. Mm-hmm. No, for for me, it's all about the slap ball change. Slap ball change. Zing, Sarah. It's only Good three one. minutes It's a tap in joke. the soonest that a title has been made <laughs> in this podcast. So you smack him, then you change your foot weight, yes. and then you smack him again. All right, yeah. well, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. There's a method slap to the ball madness. Change, slap ball change, slap ball change, jazz hands, slap ball change. <laughs> hey, vigorous jazz hands can be lethal. Oh, yeah. Just yes. saying. Yep. Especially for Michael J. Fox. Dude. Wow. <laughs> Dude. That was awesome, Brian. <laughs> Dude. You actually made me say wow really loud and long, and that doesn't happen very often. Brian I tell you guys, so I'm just happy. as fucked up as he is. I just am more quiet about it. That's yeah, all. Yeah, this is true. Hey, I'm also a pro- I love, I'm a proponent of Michael J. Fox jokes. You know oh. who's also a big proponent of Michael J. Fox jokes? Michael, Michael J. J. Fox. Fox. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I feel okay making those jokes, because yeah. if he's okay with it, I'm okay with it. I mean, didn't he, he like post selfies on Twitter and they're blurry. Like- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the ultimate form of like self-deprecating humor. Wow. Yeah. Truly, truly. Hey, I saw A Million Ways to Die in the West. Oh, did I did too. Awesome. Was it so awesome. funny? Awesome. That came out my penis. <laughs> I, I feel like... It, it was definitely really, really funny. There yeah. were points where I was laughing out loud. Yeah. I feel like I can't tell if Seth MacFarlane and his writing crew 
are intentionally mocking the tropes you would get in a romantic comedy and in a western, or yeah. if they just suck at writing. No, the I'm pretty sure it was purposeful. Yeah, the cinematography and the soundtrack were all really masterfully yeah. done. Yeah. So this was like a legit movie, you know? Dude, I definitely I- got this sense from the opening credit sequence that this was like an homage to westerns. Yeah. But at the same time, it's Seth MacFarlane's homage. So yeah. it's going to have his humor, it's going to have the cutaways. Yeah. And, uh,. <laughs> I just kept thinking back to Blazing Saddles, actually. No, absolutely. Yeah. I was trying to. Th- I was. Yeah. I said Definitely when we left, I'm like, this was this was trying to be this generation's Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. How successful it will be, will only time will tell. But yeah. it was really fucking good. Yeah. And just the historical jokes in it were yeah. so so damn funny. Like the things where he's just quite. Mm-hmm. literally pointing out like how awful doctors are he's yeah. like say you know i'm gonna go to the doctor and he's gonna have a blue jay pick out my blood and like, <laughs> i love the thing where they're like take off your hat boy that's a dollar bill <laughs> and they all like raise their head <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's a dollar bill that's true and it's true i love the little callback when he gets his face cut it does cut to a blue jay picking it, it out yeah uh, it's... or the sheep dick <laughs> yeah. right and it wouldn't be a Seth MacFarlane movie if there wasn't a dance number in it. That was a sick dance number. That worked out really well. Yeah. The mustache dance? Yes. The mustache dance? There was a mustache dance. Uh I have one of those, but it's different. Oh. Well, there's a whole bit. There's a whole bit where uh, Amanda Seyfried uh, and Neil Patrick Harris. Hey, it's a minor, minor gag. uh, Are being intimate, and the only way he can, like get aroused is if she's like licking his mustache and doing other things but we won't mention much but yeah definitely it's mustache oriented yeah and uh there were some really like disgusting gags though oh yeah i was not expecting also involving neil patrick harris yeah (laughs) Yeah. i was like that's too that's gone way too far that was but that you know what it's think of the the bean scene around the fire the around the fire pit right. blazing saddles yeah. that is yeah. what that was yeah. sure. but the but the best part of it was when he's like reaching out yeah and the guy just smacks his hand <laughs> <laughs> smacks his that was hilarious smacks come on give me a fucking hat yeah. it was so um, good um, and the dream spoiler. sequence was really sick too the dream sequence yeah. was, was I creepy I that was like a callback to like even musicals well of the Salvador Age. Dali Dude, yeah. right very much but, so I was yeah. like is this a Terry Gilliam movie what am I what am I yeah, watching right, right now my, my only major criticism of it was that I feel like Seth MacFarlane is still used to acting. Sure. So there was a couple times where he was like, I can tell he was in on the joke and he was telegraphing that he was in on the joke and he was trying really hard not to act like he was in on the joke, mm. but he totally was. So, I, I thought the dramatic moments were done really well. It did. He got better as he went along. Because yeah. Charlize Theron is was really awesome so good. Movie. She was so good. She felt Gorgeous. so real. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. The laughs and... I want to be her. And I also appreciated that, like, of all the characters, it was him and her who talked like modern people, and everyone else was still very much in their time period. Yeah. So since I haven't seen this movie, I want to ask you guys, do you think this movie belonged amongst the myriad of other, like, summer blockbusters? Do you think this was, like, a summer-worthy movie because of how... Oh, yeah. Yeah. funny it was or yes, how intense definitely. it was the yeah. scope of it is huge i, yeah. I felt so. it, it probably could have been an august release but yeah i think it could succeed as oh, it should succeed um, as an august summer. release yeah. i i Thank think you. it <laughs> august release i think yeah. that it definitely kicks off a light-hearted tone mm-hmm you know i the thing is is i what i get really annoyed with sometimes with summer blockbusters is that they are often big blow up explosions like effects and like they're just such heavy movies in that regard even though there's still humor to them but they're just that like so much spectacle Mm -hmm. i like having something where the spectacle is in the dialogue it's in the humor it's in the jokes and and that was nice it was like a nice calm entrance into the summer for me it's funny that i mentioned that because our topic happens to be the birth of the blockbuster. What? Segway. 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 And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to Nerds on Film. That was sexual. Wasn't that sexual? I that was, liked it. That was stimulating. I'm Brian Moriarty, and I'm very stimulated. I'm Sarah Ashley, and my nipples are erect. Yeah. I'm Roxino Berry, and I am just schwitzing all over my body. And I am Duke Featherbowels. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. What? Ew. I, uh, that's just, just, I did a 
I did a Seth MacFarlane style slash South Park manatees grabbing balls with ideas and go. just putting them into like a power well, ball. Well, I am the Baron von Schnusenberg. You can't be Sean Moriarty anymore because there's another Sean Moriarty on Twitter now. And yeah, well, no, they're always the, there is a Sean Moriarty. The Sean Moriarty who rules all Sean Moriartys mm-hmm. was actually the CEO of Ticketmaster for the longest time Ooh. and is I Lord knows what he's doing now. But he is this big, fat, red-headed Irish dude <laughs> who just has got way more pull than I do. So mm-hmm. to be totally I'll fair, I'll never be the best Sean Moriarty. To be totally fair, we're probably related distantly. All Moriartys are. You're our Sean unless, Moriarty, though. Unless he was adopted. So. Or one of his relatives, you know. <clears throat> nerds on Ancestry. <laughs> they say nerds on incest? <laughs> wow. No, that's another show I do at home by myself. Yeah, wow. What? Dude, Ew. Akbar. <laughs> We're not even like five minutes in, and that's no guys, guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He lives in Colorado. Whoa, whoa. whoa. I'm not having sex with any family members. I am just forcing people at gunpoint to have sex with their family members and filming it. Cricket, cricket. The reservation. We're gone. R.I.P. I'm so not okay with that making the final episode. That was hilarious. That was really, really creepy. Yeah. That was extremely dark. Let's, let's, let's get back on topic, shall we? <laughs> so, Sean. Um, so, speaking of incest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I would love to see Oedipus as a $75 million action movie. <laughs> Liam Neeson. Dude, Liam Neeson would be the best Oedipus ever. Wouldn't you see that? I, I think he's too old. Really? Yeah, you need somebody who's a lot younger. If you younger. get like Helen Mirren as Yocasta, it Orlando could totally work. Bloom. Yeah, I could I could want to see him gouge out his own eyes. Oh, yeah. I'd watch that <laughs> <day>. <laughs> I'd see he'd tap Helen Mirren. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to see her get banged by her son. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, so what is the history of the blockbuster, Sean? So blockbusters, the the term originally started in the uh, in the 40s. The media popularized it, talking about the bombs that they were dropping in uh, Hamburg, Germany. They were also called cookies, but they were bombs essentially that just wiped out and it could wipe out a whole city block. Hold on a second. Bomb. What a fucked up thing to say. Mm. How's it going to Hamburg? Oh, it's good. We're sending them some cookies. <laughs> I wow. really am disappointed that the term blockbuster yeah, caught on and not cookies. They are waiting for cookies? Oh, it's the wrong kind of cookie. This is the wrong kind of cookies. Yeah, no, can you honestly think of a trailer for the Avengers? The most anticipated cookie of the year. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I'm really Robert disappointed. <laughs> People lining up Hudson for the White next shot. big summer cookie. <laughs> Like, that sounds amazing oh. to me. <laughs> the term blockbuster came from those bombs, and then it's it evolved into talking about um, plays in Broadway that would be so popular that it threatened the business of every other play on the block. Ha! See? Know? It was relevant. It was totally fucking relevant. I knew it. Brian, shut Chinese. the fuck up about the fucking theater shit, okay? That was, a, that was a minor theater moment in a film podcast that will continue to talk about film from this point forward. So moving on into summer blockbusters so we talked about where the term came from and then it eventually went to the broadway is mm-hmm. where the term was more popularized but it didn't really become a part of the american lexicon until 1975 does anybody know ooh, what happened ooh, i know i know <laughs> yes. i know dun, 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 the girl dun, dun. with the boobs jaws dun, 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 dun. yes jaws was the first summer blockbuster because uh before that, summer wasn't actually a great time for studios to release movies. Summer was a time that people were outside doing outdoor activities, and up until like the mid '60s, um, air conditioning was not commonplace in most theaters. Yeah. So everybody as was air way too busy. To show up, people, oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say everybody's like way too busy like going outside and having sex because you know summer <laughs> of love. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Or playing frisbee. Yeah. Or both, actually. Or just, just putting it out there. smoking active. weed <laughs> outside. Yeah. Growing out their armpit hair. Yeah. yeah. Fucking who knows, man. And but protesting. isn't that crazy? I yeah. mean, for so long, for so long, every huge movie, every huge big budget action movie that is supposed to be like the most anticipated movie of the year, they always come out in summer. That's all we've ever known. But yeah. it was that to think that it was 1975 where that really became commonplace and before that most movies the big ones were in fall and winter well i mean let's admit it like now that we have air conditioning it's really nice on a summer day to go into a movie enjoy the fuck out of that air conditioning especially if you don't have it in your apartment like me 
And uh, and then, like, when you walk out and it's, like, evening time and it's nice and cool and then you're, like, ready to go to the beach for your bonfire or whatever mm. the hell. Yeah. Right. And it actually makes sense, too, because if you think about how the Academy Awards were always done, have always been done in early spring or late winter, it makes sense that, like, the fall season would have been the season where all of the major movies would be released, right? Because it gets people, fre- it stays fresh in the minds of Academy members who are looking to nominate films mm. for the next year yeah. and, it, and which is we still see today too it's like the summertime slot after the oscars is for the fun movies because it's summer fun right? yeah and then you go into the fall and winter slot when those movies get gradually more serious yeah become, because they become oscar contenders and you know it really seems to target the mood of the audience too mm. i mean i generally uh, generally speaking i feel like people tend to be a lot peppier mm. in like spring and summertime yeah. absolutely <clears throat> and john's changed all of that by scaring the shit out of you yes, yes. and making you yeah. not want to go to the beach amen <laughs> truly, yeah he's like truly, fuck I the beach be in here uh, where it's cool and safe <laughs> i talked to my mom yesterday about it i was like what was jaws like like the first blockbuster movie what was it i wanted to ask her you know being somebody who was like in her late teens at the time what was it like you know having like the movie industry change and were people conscious of it and she's like i don't know if we were conscious of it but that movie scared the shit out of everyone and every time we went to the boardwalk that summer there was no one in the water and <laughs> just everybody walking up and down the beach <laughs> yeah. that's smart and she also said too that like when you see that close-up of the jaw of the shark popping out of the water it the first time yeah yeah everybody just jumps it mm-hmm. was it audience-wide gasp. Have you guys you know? ever been to Universal Studios? Oh, yeah. Fuck yes. Y'all did the tour, right? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Kids and every time the shark uh, came out. Although, God, that tour sucks in comparison to the Jaws ride that was in Florida. Ooh. Where you actually go through and the shark like is attacking the boat several times, and the guide actually has a fake gun that he's shooting at him the whole time. Dang, oh, that's like, awesome. like the safari ride at Disneyland. Oh my god, I kind of feel like <laughs> so much. I feel, but yeah, like Jungle, Jungle Cruise, Cruise but, yeah. but real. Um, <laughs> I I feel so bad for that fisherman at the Universal Studios in Hollywood every yeah, fucking the day. Statue? Eight times a day. <laughs> oh no no no. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's All right, squeeze well, out the strawberry. Quick. What was that in? Um, oh God, was that Mallrats where he wanted to like propose to her? When Jaws pops, when out, Jaws of the pops out, of the out of the water. I was gonna, Which wow. is fucking That's the most romantic thing I've ever heard. It is. No, it seriously is. Nice. He's like, oh my God, I'm thank God I'm not dead. Hey, will you marry me? You guys, <clears throat> was Jaws the only movie to really start the blockbuster movement? What no. else was there, Sean? No, 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 no. It was, well, it did, it was the first movie that, because it, it was the first movie ever to break 100 million okay. and to be so popular and to shatter all box office records, period. That's where it was really cemented in. But there was some success for some movies in the late 60s and early 70s. During that had summer releases and they were smaller movies. It was like Bonnie and Clyde, which was in 1967, Easy Rider in 1969, and uh, American Graffiti in 1971. Those yeah. are some notable ones mm-hmm. that were released, but they were aimed at a younger audience. And I think that's really where studios realized from that point forward that you know we got all these kids that are off sc- out of school for the summer. We can aim these movies at them, yeah, and then they can make some money. I'm not sure if that's what they were thinking with Jaws because I'm pretty sure Jaws is one of those movies that is, you know, generally scares the shit out of every, like, everybody's afraid of a great white shark. <laughs> but one one thing that is really interesting about Jaws is, um, you know, this right, right before that movie came out, people were pretty sure that Spielberg had lost, his, like, had completely lost control of what was going on on his set um, because they were about, like, like 300 times over budget or something like that. It was like ridiculous. They were yep. like way... It was a $4 million budget and they ended up spending 12. Yeah, it was wow. so it was like way over budget yeah. and um, apparently the shark they were using in the water was like malfunctioned reacting. all yeah. the time. Yeah. Uh, they <laughs> like they doubled, over doubled their shooting schedule um, and it was it was just an absolute mess and so I think it was more of kind of like a last ditch effort like three days before the movie came out, they just saturated mm. television with advertisements to go see this movie. And that is really what I think the big difference is with blockbusters is that it all boils down to the marketing. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And so, in like, in fact, like, yeah. you know, you know, the marketing for the most part accounts for like half of a movie's production budget these days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and there was another movie um, that came out before that. 
I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head, which I can't Oh, it was that, it was that, I told you about that Charles Bronson movie. Yeah, it was a Charles Bronson movie. It was called Breakout, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that's. Yeah, they tried a bunch of ads because that was one of the first ones to really do the ads. Yeah, and it it was like mildly successful, but they they weren't doing it as heavily. It was kind of like like spotty, but this was like, I mean, it wasn't exactly viral, but yeah, only three days before, and then here the, now you have this huge huge release, and yeah. it was extremely popular worldwide, and it did a wide and release. that was and that was the first time like that was the first time it was successful that TV ads because nobody did TV ads before right. that really right. before that Charles Bronson movie and then Jaws. The Charles Bronson movie failed financially and critically, so nobody really thought anything of it. Jaws did it, it and it was such a success that that's what everybody does now. It's it all changed TV the ads. game. Yeah. Here's what I find really fascinating, is that if you look at boxofficemojo.com, they have a list of all the box office records. You can go all the way back to the beginning. Like the first 55 entries, if you're going by date, don't have years in them, because it's almost like it's insignificant, because it all starts with Jaws. You know, and the, and that includes movies that came out after Jaws too, but they made a lot of money. But just like they don't remember, they couldn't figure out what the release date was. Mm-hmm. Jaws is kind of that starting point, even if it may yeah. not have been what cemented, I think, the place of it being the blockbuster. It certainly was the inciting was. incident. You're, yeah, because you're talking about a movie that made two hundred and sixty million dollars domestically, and then another two hundred and ten, I think, foreign for a, you know a combination of like almost five, almost half. A billion dollars, and this is in 1975 when the average movie ticket price was two dollars. Wow. Yeah, and you also think about two uh, fewer multiplexes as well, right? So they probably the only way they're able to make that work is through doing uh, more showings per day or yeah. extended runs of the movie. Yeah, too. like late late 70s, it was like a, a a theater that had four screens was huge. Wow. Right. Right. Like the Century 22. Rest in peace. <laughs> was was a three screen multiplex, right? That yeah. was oh that God. was the Mom, cutting edge thing. Mom said she saw Jaws in the Century Twenty One, and I was like, I would I would kill a puppy Aww. to see Jaws in that in that theater. Yeah, I would. One that a guy got attached to over the course of like a year or two, like not just one that was handed to me. <laughs> That's how God. much I want to see Jaws Jesus. in that theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, Brian, speaking of that mo- that box office mojo list that you were talking about, I find it interesting that Jaws only placed number seven on that list. Yeah, we're going to just for inflation. List. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, when you Go adjust on. for inflation. But when you adjust for inflation, Gone with the Wind is number one, Star Wars is number two, Sound of Music at number three, E.T. at number four, Titanic at five, and The Ten Commandments at number six. And yeah. I think it's fascinating that Spielberg is you know has two of his films in that tom top, top 10 list so i think uh steven Spielberg definitely knows how to direct a good blockbuster but one of the movies on that list um star wars i find it really interesting how that movie was definitely a blockbuster but it was released in a much smaller scale yeah because it- jaws jaws was one of the was the first movie to be like released everywhere all at the same time yeah and on the same day theaters, because before yeah. that they would move around to different markets and release it at different times based on what numbers they had or what what they thought from a business perspective would be a better way to release it and then i think really <clears throat> what's the next one that really cements it right i mean you could they did do king kong the next year and it was the you know that they're trying to make the major remake that universal was doing with uh was it jeff bridges i believe in it and jeff bridges and jessica lang thank you mm. uh, and of course the even recreating the same iconic bit where his heartbeat starts to slow down mm. uh toward the end and you're seeing him <clears throat> just kind of drift into into death do you but, think Star Wars was released on a smaller scale because sci-fi just was not popular? I, I think it was released on a smaller scale because it Star Wars was the underdog. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, as, as it was, if it wasn't for the fact that Lucas had made friends with Alan Ladd Jr., who was the head of production at the time at 20th Century Fox, that movie would not have gotten made. And as it was, it only had a $7 million budget, which for back then was still meager. I mean, it was a lot of money, but... It, not as much as it needed. At the same time, though, think about seven million and what they did with that for Star Wars, and then think about looking at Jaws and even with the mechanical shark and everything, the production value they got out of that movie with twelve million. Right. Just to think about how <clears throat> well they stretched their dollar and how how much seven million could get you in seventy five. Right. And how great it looked. That being said, they were trying to make things work on a very tight budget for what Lucas was trying to accomplish. 
to the point where he was doing a lot of the work for the effects uh, with the ILM people directly. And there were so much constraints and issues with budget that Lucas started having chest pains, Ooh. too. Yeah. And, and he started to see a doctor because he thought he was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> it, it, the movie almost killed him, literally. It's true. Well, and because everybody around him, including a lot of the actors, had absolutely no faith that that movie was going to do yeah. anything but fall into obscurity immediately. Right. Well, and that's because sci-fi was never... Um, it wasn't that it wasn't a popular genre, it's just that it wasn't a respected genre up yeah. to yeah. that point. Or, yeah, and it was not a uh, it was not a good business venture. Yeah, so everything... They did not make any money. Yeah. So everything up to this point for, for sci-fi movies were really... I mean, aside from, like, a few, like, major hits, but a lot of them were, like, B-level. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and let's be clear here. This is also just talking about the film genre, because I think yeah. sci-fi had found its footing on television yeah. at this point. Star Trek, yeah. Right. And The Outer Limits and The Twilight Zone and all and those... Think, Star Galactica. Exactly. And I think that's what helped make Star Wars successful, is that you had a different following now. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, if you look at it now, most blockbusters are somehow rooted in sci-fi. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> comic books are, are, you know, kind of an offshoot of sci-fi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Transformers, all that other shit. Like, those are yeah. those yeah. are some serious it's, ones. It's, it's really, I think, if you think about, like, the, the level of quality that Spielberg and Lucas both put into their films, it makes complete sense that those two are the forefathers of the blockbuster. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, and there would be the maintainers of the blockbuster for... Mm. 20 years they, hit, they set the golden standard exactly yeah they would and, and yeah. they're masters of the idea of the franchise right which is yep. extremely yeah. important to and blockbusters exactly and even if lucas didn't direct empire strike back or jedi or any of the indiana jones movies they were still he was still very very heavily involved with that process yeah right especially with, with spielberg and developing those stories but also, if Star Wars had not had amazing special effects and amazing sound effects, it, we would just be talking about it as a footnote. It would be this another obsc next obscure movie, and it might have been some other movie that became the next big blockbuster. You know what I really find interesting as well is that Star Wars was kind of responsible for popularizing teaser trailers. And um, Sean, did you have some? It was yeah, it was one of the first teaser trailers ever for Star Wars. And the funny thing is, back then people didn't have their finger on the pulse of what was. I mean, the the marketing people, and then the people actually involved with the film especially creatively it seems like they didn't really have a whole shitload of communication because if you watch the teaser trailer for star wars it's like it's a voice that's like it's a story of a boy yeah, and i can a play it right now in a universe yeah, yeah we need to play it okay i'll play it right now it's, yeah it's pretty strange <laughs> somewhere in space this may all be happening right now <laughs> 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American Graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. It's still like Velociraptors in space. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. But <laughs> It's his sister. That's creepy. It's like they didn't even know where it was going to go in the long run. Light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. Wow. It's an epic of heroes. An epic of heroes. <laughs> Totally kissed him. For luck, though. Uh -huh. Not for fuck. <laughs> and aliens from a thousand worlds. Two just flops over. Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> a billion years in the making, and it's coming to your galaxy this summer. Kablooey. Yeah, so that teaser trailer came out way before um, the normal trailers would usually, you know, show up uh, like a month to a couple weeks before a movie was going to come out. Yeah. That one was where they threw all this footage together. 
<laughs> and obviously came up with some narration that was a little off. A little I mean, off. it kind of sounds like they're inter- introducing a horror space movie. Yeah. It does. Well, and I like the thing where he's like, this could be happening in a galaxy right now. And I'm just like... This is all happening now. But I was like, wait a minute. It says in the beginning that it was a long time ago. <laughs> so clearly the, clearly the marketing department had not read the script yet. Yeah. Um, they didn't think it through. <laughs> fun fact, though, that voice you guys just heard is the voice of the one and only Orson Welles. Really? Oh, shut the fuck up. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. The late, great Orson Welles. Wow. That's cool. Seems appropriate. Did you know that um, there were cutaway scenes in the credits of Citizen Kane? And Citizen Kane was basically one of the first movies to feature that in the credits. Hmm. And so when we talk about post-credit scenes and the popularity of that, you can actually attribute that to Citizen Kane, too. Yeah. God damn it! Do we have to do we have to praise Citizen Kane every day? <laughs> film nerds. I don't think we do it that often. It I, was wait, very wait, ahead wait, of wait. its time. You don't have a shrine in your room to Citizen Kane. Like I like candles. I, it's a I like votives like every day. <laughs> Is that weird? Yeah. Is that weird? <laughs> <laughs> so the thing about Star Wars and Jaws, another thing that it started in Hollywood is like Sarah was saying, franchises. Back then they were just called sequels. Studios saw how much money was coming in and of course, what do they say? Let's carbon copy this. So that's why you have Jaws 2 through 4. That's why you have Star Wars has two sequels. That's why you have four more Rocky movies in the next like 15 years is because this also changed Hollywood's mentality about creativity. Let's just Expand on this because we know this works, and based on the name, people are going to go to see it anyway. We yeah. can expect at least half of what we made before, which will still be a killing. I would agree with that for Jaws 2 through 4. Or was it, were there four? No, they, they never made a four. There they were just, four Jaws movies. There were Jaws fours? the Revenge was the one where it was personal, remember? Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Where, the Jaws, where Jaws was like, <laughs> Jaws was alone with family. Okay. Like the family was in was in New England and like the, the youngest son got bit and then all of a sudden they like, they move to a tropical island and the shark follows them there. This time it's personal. And it has Michael Caine in it. This time, wow. it's personal. <laughs> Can I just say, Sean, that was like the best delivery on a joke I've heard from you on a long time. You were just like, you know, you remember that was the one that, that was personal? <laughs> I saw a shock the size of a tangerine. Yeah. <laughs> Can we that's even... not very big. It got me trousers. All I was going to say about the sequel thing was, to be totally fair, Lucas was planning on Empire Strikes Back and Jedi the whole time. He yeah, he do a says trilogy. that, and he also says that he was planning on the first three the whole fucking time, and I doubt that that's 100% true. Hmm. Very lightly. I just think that after the success... I mean, honestly, you're talking about a guy who had heart problems because of how terrible his production was going and having everybody naysaying him the whole fucking time, and then as soon as it's successful... He's like, he's still, knew He's saying, it. I had a plan for the first three the whole time. Hmm. Well, I mean, and he could have had a plan for the story for the first three for the whole time. That's what I'm saying. He didn't have a script in place for all three yet, but he did have an outline that followed a whole trilogy of films. He was seeing that in advance before the the industry was really going toward the whole trilogy or franchise mindset. And he was also brilliant in that film, too, because Fox thought nothing of the movie. So they gave him all the merchandising rights. Because he said, yep. well, why? Because I want to I want to make T-shirts off of it. And they said, like, everyone's going to want a T-shirt from this movie. Fine. Go ahead. You have fun. And Lucas laughed all the way to the bank. <laughs> but, yeah. so, but so the deal with Star Wars is, like, this is one of the first times that people have ever, like, lined up waiting for a movie. You know, mm. this is this was audience excitement. And as an avid moviegoer who has stood in lines around midnight several times over for big summer blockbusters... Yeah. It clearly this sort of trend had stayed has staying power, right? And yep. and why is that? What is what is so attractive about these big summer blockbusters, um, aside from just beating the heat and having a good story told to you while you're sitting in air conditioning? Well, there's something to be said about spectacle. Yeah. I mean, sorry, Sean, bringing it back to theater, it is an element. <laughs> oh Jesus! I'm no, out. no, no, <laughs> no, no. Sean, Sean actually just walked away. I can't believe he just did that. Deuces. <laughs> Look, every, every form of visual storytelling has elements to it that you need to follow. And it, yeah. a lot of them cross-pollinate with theater. That's why I'm bringing it up. Spectacle is a major element of it. You know? You're not going to see a spectacle when you go see Richard III. You're going to focus true. on language. You're going to focus on yep. character. 
spectacle does have its place in storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, I yeah. mean, Sarah was mentioning how this is this has had staying power, and how this is very common. And I mean, for the last thirty years, we've been going through the same kind of format for releases of movies and like the the spectacle like brian said that and is expected arguably the same plot but, lines over and over again yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but it's interesting to note that that even though this is very commonplace for us and even for younger people they might not even understand that you know that's our parents that saw this change and the change that happened in the 70s was very much a product of of the world and politics at the time because you had in the 70s all these movies were very conscious about about world issues and stuff very deep and very like hard r-rated movies that were really in your face about opinions and like the left especially and uh, being against the military when it comes to post-vietnam world the summer blockbusters like jaws and star wars were so popular at that time because everybody was so sick of having reality pounded into their head that they wanted this escape and yeah why why do you think now that 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 escape Mm. from that terrible time then has just had the staying power that Sarah mentioned and like why even now we just want do you think it's the escape like we just want to go and not think about real world issues I think there's definitely a, an argument to be said that blockbusters have had a recent and recent by recent I mean like past 10 years resurgence mm. and I'm going to and that's just from my perception uh like I don't think that like in the 90s when everybody was ex- experiencing a lot of economic happiness, I don't think that there was like a huge craving for blockbusters as much. Yeah. And now mm. I think that. Or also the technical aspect. And the of technical it too. aspect. Yeah. 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 Technical feats in the 90s were not that great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aside from like Jurassic Park or something like that, yeah, which Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park was the, like the, a the huge majors. blockbuster, right? Yeah. And, and like Titanic and things yeah. like that. Those are still big ones. Yeah. But But did you ever feel like there was. A craving for that spectacle? No, I think this was a really good development point. Mm. And then I think, um, you know, probably right around like economic crash time, mm-hmm. I will definitely say that blockbusters found a really big resurgence. And then we saw the quantity of those movies going up. I'm not mm. necessarily saying the quality, but the quantity of blockbusters have gone up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said yeah. earlier, especially ones that are sci fi based, things that are so. Mm off of what what we experience in real life as yeah. you know normal humans on earth yeah. and like without all the technology that they show in these movies like the, the the escape level the level from where we are now to what we are showing has gotten even greater yeah and i mean let's look at the trends of what makes a popular blockbuster of today i found this article called the 11 defining features of the summer blockbuster off of a website called 538.com and basically this writer compiled uh research based off of imdb.com where he went ahead and looked at what has been the trend from 1975 to 2013 and it looks like in each of these features the popular Blockbuster is usually an action film, going at 50% of the time. Um, Blockbuster movies based on a comic book has increased in popularity since it really was not that popular in 75 and has, you know, peaked now in 2013 because of Marvel. Um, The altered studio logos in Blockbuster movies is even a popular thing. You know, you see in Harry Potter movies how each Harry Potter movie, as the storyline got darker, whenever the Warner Brothers logo would pop up, they would match the theme of the story. Yeah, and Mm. I think one of the first films to do that was the 1989 Batman movie. And the Flintstones movie in 1994, as well as Pinocchio and Bambi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Pinocchio did, that's right, Pinocchio did it too. But I I remember when I, the first time I saw Batman was, you knew this was a different take because you have the normal... Know, blue sky Warner Brothers logo that all of a sudden goes into a night version of that nice. and then it just kind of dissolves into this whole yeah. thing. So Interestingly enough, um, action shots in blockbuster movies, chase scenes is the most popular for a blockbuster movie. Makes sense. French Connection is mm-hmm. arguably one of the best yeah. shot car chase scenes ever. Yep, I would nice. say I would say that movie, I would say Ronin. Ronin's got amazing. Robert De Niro. Yeah. And then I would say the movie Cars 2 also had probably one of the best chase uh, scenes. Really? Blues Brothers. No hey. jokes. Yeah, think- Blues Brothers is way up there. Anything yeah. Fast and Furious, really. I believe didn't. Uh, how dare you. Let me continue on with uh, what they said, though. Shootouts is the most popular form of action in combat terms for blockbuster movies. 
violence in blockbuster movies has changed to where comparing murder, blood, and gore looks like murder has become the more popularized version of violence versus blood and gore. And relationships in blockbuster movies, father and son is the most popular trope. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cute. And how are the funny. Batman movies so popular? Because Oh, Alfred is the father <laughs> yeah, figure. Yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. It comes in second with husband and wife. Mother and son is in third. Father-daughter is in fourth. Boyfriend-girlfriend in fifth. Mother-daughter in sixth. That's bullshit. Brother-sister <laughs> brother, comes in seventh. And brother-and-brother brother comes in last. Oh, and there's this interesting statistic about blockbuster movies with a surprise ending. Um, it says, this is how predictable blockbuster films are now. It's come to the point that even the unpredictability of the plot is fundamentally predictable. <laughs> um, so when half of all the blockbusters released in 2010 have a surprise ending, is it a surprise anymore, really? Uh, you know, arguably no. I will say that a lot of times when I'm watching movies, I'm figuring out the end, like, within yeah. the first... Like I will say though the ending, the ending of Inception really had everyone. That going. one, well, yeah. that's because it didn't have an end. It was an ambiguous ending, and yes, that was great. Exactly. I was like, thank you for doing that because yeah. ambiguous endings have been used in literature for so long, and there's a reason why it works so well in prose fiction. Mm-hmm. That like well, ambiguous endings are great because you let the audience form in their head how the yeah. story ends, and the dialogue mm-hmm. and the conversation people get to have afterwards is reasons why we get to have a podcast about movies. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot oh. of people can like us can figure out movies because we watch them so much there's also your main movie going audience who who doesn't have that special superpower like we do so even they just enjoy going through the motions that's but there are a lot of big blockbuster movies that that the twist even though it it is part of the framework and it is as there as you said predictable that it'll be in there like a lot of things that like did anybody see the resurgence of Hydra coming in Captain America 2? Ooh, that, every, that shield was Hydra. Oh, spoilers. If you haven't seen it by now. If you um, haven't seen the a million and a half fucking Hail Hydra memes. Yeah, exactly. Internet, exactly. I mean, I think Gary Shore. Yeah. Did you did you predict that per se? I think that one kind of caught me for a loop, but I knew that there was some sort of like big bad conspiracy going on, right? Well, to to know that it was Hydra again was Kind of like when it happened, you're just like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Can I just say something real quick? <laughs> Those two movies really made Hydra look like the most unoriginal evildoers in the planet. Think about Captain America 1. What's our evil plan? We're going to make a ship. Oh, yeah. Evil, that can fly evil airship. with guns on it. And we're going to kill everyone. Everybody. Captain America 2. We have infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Great. What's our plan? We're going to make a series of ships with guns <laughs> on them. That will kill everyone. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, and then even in Avengers, they still had a giant fucking airship. What's up with airships? (laughs) A giant (laughs) ship. Okay. With guns on it that will save everyone. <laughs> yeah, like, why Why is that so big in that universe? I don't understand. Why does everybody want an airship? I mean, I want because an airship. Because it's fucking awesome. But That's I want, why. Like, everybody gets an airship. You get an airship. You, you get, get an airship. airship. You get an airship. Everybody gets an airship. <laughs> but I guess I think I really want an airship that's, like, a little bit more steampunk or, like, mm. it looks like a flying like pirate a blimp? ship. Yeah. There's your bad. Marvel, there's your Marvel Disney Pixar blend right there. Yeah. Airships. And it's it's like cars or planes, but it's all about anthropomorphized well, ships <laughs> in the Marvel universe. To be fair, Sega. if you want to see a flying pirate ship, you do have Peter Pan and you do have Stardust. That, yes, that no, absolutely. That. That's why I like those ones, is because yeah. The, but yeah, that's what about I mean, little that Nemo? That was exactly what I was thinking of. You know, my little Nemo. Sure. Oh, yeah. Pajama Jamma. Yeah. Pajama Jamma Jamma. Just the idea of an aircraft carrier hovering out of the sea was just like that i will have to say that i did not expect to see when i saw the Avengers. no and like, it's shit like that though brian it's shit like that that shot right there the sheer spectacle of that shot and everybody's mouth agape and when you're sitting there staring at it and you're in such awe that everything else that was running through your head about your entire life just goes <laughs> away yeah and it's that kind of escape that is why these movies that's why people are trying to make movies that make people yeah. shut their brain off and just escape or G- and yeah. shock value of like things like paranormal activity and how yeah. huge that, that was just you know? so, uh, just run it back shocked by anything in any of those movies so, i absolutely was so that this first is one. so this is the the internal monologue we're talking about oh man my car payment's gonna get done tomorrow and i'm not sure if i have enough money in my account for that and 
Oh, I gotta do grocery shopping. I go. I gotta go Fuck yeah, classes. Go to the Hovering ship. <laughs> <laughs> Hovering ship. Hovering ship. <laughs> you guys remember League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Yes. Oh, that was I such a disappointment. That unfortunate. Unfortunate. A- that movie basically turned Alan Moore off from ever seeing films that were adapted from his work in theaters. Like Including he, Watchmen. Yeah, which, he lost yeah. faith in the movie industry because they butchered yeah. his work. Yeah. yeah. Well, And Stephen Summers was actually difficult to work with, too. Mm. Did you guys really think that movie was that bad? I thought it was yeah. forgettable. I it thought was it was very, very forgettable. I, I, li- I loved the premise of it, but like watching Shane the movie, West I don't really remember. Yeah, you're right. It's but like, cause I, I, I was had such a crush on Shane West when Even that movie came butt out. Even his butt chin to learn but how to act. Hold on a second. You can't. There Whoa, is, what do you exactly. got against people with butt chins? I have, I have things against Shane West and his butt they chin. They also, they added in characters that weren't supposed to be there. I'm sorry, but Tom Sawyer was not in right. the League of Extraordinary <laughs> Gentlemen yeah. graphic novel. And neither was Professor Moriarty. It was actually supposed to be Campion Bond was his name. Supposed to be the great, great, great grandfather of who would become James Bond as the person organizing the Secret Service for them to yeah. do their I mean, mission. Shankar is the only good thing, the only saving grace of that entire freaking thing. And that was like the movie that he was like, I'm done. Exactly. That's well, really sad. Yeah. I mean, he was also, I mean, he's also going to be 83 years old this year, so he was... He had made tons of money and been very successful at that Mickey point. Mickey Rooney was making movies up to the day he died. I know. You're welcome, time, America. I think it's time that we have a call to action with all of our fans. Get in contact with Sean Connery's people. It's time for him to move from mainstream film to hardcore pornography. Yeah. Um, um, what I think is really also interesting, though, so, like, not only what makes a blockbuster and how, like, it's kind of, it, you know, does it really fit its technical definition of something that, you know, has a huge effect on the public not so much anymore there's a lot of really forgettable movies that were that are considered blockbusters but just didn't make it that just didn't make it like john carter etc etc you know like those types of movies um but what but what i'm really interested is like what is the what are really the merits of having a blockbuster these days so we we kind of said you know the escapism is a really nice aspect Mm -hmm. of it but you know steven spielberg spoke out last year um, in June, which was very funny that he was saying it was very timely because there were a, a series of huge blockbuster flops last summer. Um, last summer was a bad time for movies. It, it really, it, you know, it was, it, it had some highlights, but a lot of lowlights. Um, mm-hmm. But what I think, what he, what he basically was saying was that there was basically going to be kind of a, a blockbuster implosion of the, how this was going to work because he's like, you guys are going to have a series of flops and then you're going to realize you cannot just invest so much money on a crapshoot of a movie just because you think it has some sort of hook, like it was based on a toy or based on a candy. Right. Like they're doing with a Peeps movie coming out or, you know, whatever. Uh, or, or something that is so yeah. heavily hooked on nostalgia. And then, you know, have that while then taking all that money away from indie projects or or personal projects or things that could actually have some lasting power hold the phone for a second yes all very very true and i agree with spielberg what this comes down to though and considering that spielberg is the head of a studio he he would know this there's a formula that they all follow yeah and it it, there are variables that come into it and of course it's never 100 percent guarantee that it's going to succeed but if you pretty much you you can figure out within a couple of percentage points of what it's going to do on opening weekend based off of who's going to be in the movie, what are the genres they're going to be pushing forward, who's attached to direct it, who's attached to write it, all those factors. And what unfortunately what it did do, not that the movie industry wasn't like this beforehand, is it gave us, it gave the movie industry a more solid way that, okay, if we were in the red from our previous movies, well, if we got one or two major films that will get us in the black for the summer then we'll be good and this is actually how sony stayed afloat for uh, a while because a lot of its films were flopping but the one of the reasons it could make those flops because it Spider-Man. had spider-man to fall back on mm-hmm. yeah you know it had and to this day even though this the third movie was a crap movie all three spider-man movies did extremely well in the box office and that's also why they were able to to push that forward with the new spider-man movies that came out mm. too and arguably, these blockbusters do lend themselves a lot to continual technical achievement. Yes. So that yeah. So those are so those are good aspects, right? And and I think looking and doing some research online and and hearing about 
blockbusters and what people really feel about them. What I was getting is a lot of people who do strike me as extremely pretentious about the types of movies that come out. And they're all just like kind of saying they are the same plot lines. They are very vapid, blah, 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 which arguably so is true. If you but, want to be- <laughs> exactly. And arguably it's true. But the thing is, is there's still qualities to these movies that do make them unique, that do still make them fun and interesting. And who cares if it if that's something that is, yes, going to broach a wide audience? And that is a really good thing. I do think, yes, it is extremely obvious that a lot of these movies are marketed to teenage boys and to foreigners. But, you know, there's still something there to be hey, enjoyed by others. Hey, there's plenty of teenage girls that want to see Avengers. Exactly, and see- exactly. But, but you know, the toys are still trying to, you know, the, the marketing aspect of it is still going in that direction. Absolutely. Yeah. But you, you just have enough enough females and enough families who are just like hell no this is for everybody mm-hmm. like um and and those and that is all going to be really good to help keep moving the blockbuster and these big giant summer hits along so yeah i, I think there i think there is room for both i but i do think that people need to, studios need to be looking at what movies they are picking with a closer eye because I swear to God, there is absolutely no reason there's another Transformers coming out. There is absolutely no reason uh, for it. Seriously, honestly, just because people love seeing, and I'm one of these people, just love seeing robots fight. I just want to see the Dinobots because that's some shit from my childhood. <laughs> and the fact that they got rid of Shia LaBeouf and abandoned like the entire like other storyline with the last Fair three enough. movies means it's like a, it's a little bit of a reboot. Kind it of. is kind of. I will say it was really funny when I saw the preview for it. I was like, "Huh, I have now lived long enough to see Mark Wahlberg become a dad in a <gasps> summer blockbuster and not the main sex symbol." <gasps> I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's 2014. You know, like dads in their yeah. mid 40s, the single dads. It looks like are yeah, hot. yeah, yeah. And you know, the more I think about it. The more I think that, you know, really what we're talking about now with this whole birth of the blockbusters, we're really talking about a second golden age for Hollywood. You know, Hollywood did big budget movies back in the 30s and 40s. That's no surprise. And they and they made a lot of money back then, too. Well, even, even then, before, like, uh, Cleopatra and Ten Commandments and Spartacus, and technically speaking, all of those movies cost way more. I, oh, I just, yeah. Adjusted for inflation, of course, they cost way more to make than Star Wars did or or, um, yeah. or, uh, or Jaws. Which is sad because sure. Cleopatra was one of the first flops. <laughs> yeah, and also the Cleopatra first movie... Cleopatra almost bankrupt the studio. Mm. Yeah, and that was the first film to be shot in 235-1 aspect ratio, the famous ultra-wide screen Ooh. that we're used to seeing today. Interesting. Um, so, folks, I thought, in light of tonight's topic i composed a short little quiz for you guys to see if you could spot which movie broke the box office record when do it okay so i'll give you uh it's two parts if you i'm more looking at the film than i am the year but if you can get the film in the year bonus points okay Mm. what was the first film to break 10 million dollars opening weekend these are all opening weekend stats opening weekend 10 million dollars opening weekend spider-man 2 Mm. No, Spider-Man 2 did like 80 million on opening weekend. No, it did way more than that. Um, First film eight. to break 10 million for opening opening weekend. Birth of a Nation. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that was still that Birth Batman. of a Nation was one of the most successful movies ever based on its budget because yeah. they traveled around with it for yeah. so long. That was when you still had to. Wait. The prince moved around and there because was. Because they're all hitting major prince. ones, but keep in mind I'm these are not these are not adjusted for inflation. Not so. adjusted for inflation. Yeah. I'm gonna say Easy Rider. Sean. Opening weekend, Gone with the Wind. Again, not adjusted for inflation. I know. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, you guys are all wrong. Uh, Empire Strikes Back was the first film to have a $10 million opening weekend. Cool. In 1980. We were way off. It's okay. Yeah, it we're okay. all overheated. <laughs> but now that we got that, uh, first film to have an opening weekend that broke the $25 million barrier. $25 million. Okay, so it's going to be... I got it. After Empire... I'm going to say... Batman. Nope. Titanic. Nope. Who framed Roger Rad- Rabbit? <laughs> um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 1984. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I like that. Okay. Um, I will say flat out, there was no single film to break 30 million, but in this year, in the year 1989, two films got very close 
to hitting $30 million. Can you name them? 1989, Batman. Batman's one of them. Um, for opening weekend, no. Oh. No, no, no. What else came out in 1989? Me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I Roxy? was born in 1989. <laughs> the the line. Was, was there a screening of Roxy's birth video? Exactly. That made that much money? <laughs> the lines it did, it went was, around it the block. It did very well in Canada. One. It did very well in Canada. <laughs> it did very well in Canada and in the Persian market. In the Persian market. <laughs> Not actually in the place. Like they showed it at a Persian market and then. <laughs> Oh my God, Sean! This is it. so bad. There was that actually won the uh, the highest honor at the Persian Canadian Film Festival that year. It was year, screened at a local in which bazaar. three people Persian attended. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it was awarded the the, the maple syrup covered sandal, which is. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the two that came really really close but didn't quite hit it were Ghostbusters 2 and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, I was totally going to say it. Oh, I was thinking that. I was like, what year did that come out? Follow your instinct. Um, Yeah, so those both were like 29 and change, 29 million and change, but didn't quite make it. Can you guys name the first film to have a $40 million opening weekend? Terminator 2. I'll give you a hint. You guys have already mentioned it a couple times. Titanic. Batman. Nice! I got one! Batman had the first $40 million opening weekend. Ooh. Um, First film to break $50 million. Titanic. I'm just gonna keep saying Titanic. She keeps saying it. No. Titanic is not in the 80s. Damn it! Okay. Can you give us a year? Yeah. If I give you a year, you're gonna be surprised if I tell you the year. Um, Avatar. 1997 is the year. 1997. That it broke the 50 million. Okay. Not so I will least have time. Batman and right. Robin. No. <laughs> Seven. Batman and Robin was close. It had 45 million. Seven opening was weekend, a but not quite. Hit. Fight Club. I think. No, Star um, Club was like 99 or 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it was The Lost World, Jurassic <gasps> Park. Really? Believe it or not, Jurassic Park only had a $47 million opening weekend oh. in, back in 1993. It, didn't, it took eight years for it for someone to break that milestone. Oh. Interesting. Now, even though that was 72, do you guys know which was the first film to break the $75 million opening weekend? Titanic. <laughs> Again, Titanic was not, not on, answer. not on the list. Yeah. God damn it. Brides Wait, face. okay, say it one more time. Which film was the film that broke the $75 million barrier on opening weekend? So it's after 1997. Correct. Um, Can I have the definition in the language of origin, please? Yeah. I'm going to say... Meteology. I'm going to say X-Men. No. Okay. X-Men had a $54 million opening weekend oh, okay. in 2000. But uh, this actually was goes to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Nice. 2001. Oh. And it got $90.2 million opening weekend. Damn. Yeah. Snap. Uh, okay, guys, this is the big one. What was the first film to have a $100 million Spider-Man. opening weekend? Spider-Man. Sean's got it. All right. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. It grossed $114 million. Ooh. Jeez. Yeah. What about L-O-T-R? L-O-T-R? Got close, but didn't. they didn't have as big of weekends. None of those films in that series? None of them got I think, to the... Again, I think Lord of the Rings was, like, again, one of those ones, like... You t- you had your diehards go the ones who were like I needed to see this and I'm then my and years. then they spread that out over several weekends yeah and I mean once this hit the hundred million dollar mark then studio was just like okay every fucking year we're gonna try and make a movie that goes over hundred <laughs> yeah. million and they and it's been every since the last decade it's been bam 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 hundred yeah. million hundred million and plus so what was the first film to break the hundred and fifty million dollar barrier Dark Knight even believe it or not no. No. Was it Avatar? You guys are gonna be yeah. pissed off when you find out the answer too. Nope. Nope. Wait, hold on, hold um, on, hold on. Marley the hundred and fifty dollar million, million dollars for the opening Kings weekend. Of comedy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sean. No, it's not. Uh, Spider-Man three. What? In two thousand seven. Yeah. And this one might be actually really easy because it's the only one to have done it, but the only and I guess the first film to have a two hundred million dollar opening weekend. Avatar. Avatar. No. Damn it, really? Big Mama's House. The Avengers. Oh, oh The Avengers, that's yeah. right. Cool. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Biggest uh, opening weekend well, ever. We're really bad at this game. We are horrible. <laughs> you know what the problem is is I never look at I never look at the numbers. I, I look at all the shit. The, the only ones I knew for sure were Spider Man and uh, uh, the Avengers. But you knew Batman. Batman. I knew Batman. I knew Batman. I knew Roxy knew Batman. Um but yeah, we, we you knew Spider Man because we were talking about it like crazy when it happened. Oh, dear, I went. That is the only movie. Seriously, that is the movie I saw the most in theaters that summer. I saw Spider-Man ten fucking 
times. Wow. That's a lot of time in your hands. The last three of them were all as the second movie in a double feature at the drive-in, so does it still there, count? Okay. Yeah, no, it counts. Still counts. Mm, totally does. I saw it three you know, actually, times in theaters, and that's usually my limit. That was really interesting that when we, when we were talking about, like, movies that didn't have, you know, before they had air conditioning and stuff like that, I'm like, well, they still had, like, drive-ins, like... Yeah. And that's, well, I guess I suppose they didn't really have much air conditioning in their cars during that time, did they? I don't I know. I still have never gone to a drive-in. <gasps> oh, my God! Uh, guess what we're doing? Bucket so, list. I actually had my last Tuesday in June set aside so that we can make this happen. Okay. Cute. Last Tuesday in June, it's the, like, the... Was it $2 or $5? It's a $5 night to get in at the drive-ins. Yeah. You're five going. Yeah, it's, it's $5 double feature. All right. All yeah. right. It's yeah. going to be a late one, and but it, yeah, yeah. do it. No, it is. It's a late night, but, you know, you go, you bring, like, blankets and folding chairs. Awesome. and Oh, doors. no, you bring a grill and you bring some wine and some beer. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yes. No, no, yeah. I, I, you don't have to get shit tanked, but you can definitely enjoy shit yourself. Tanks. Oh, I will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll probably just get real stony baloney. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I went to the drive-in <laughs> nice. all the time. Oh, yeah. You just yes, smoked so much weed. <laughs> uh, Enough let... weed to get your brother in the back seat who can't see over your fat head a little high by contact. Oh. Uh... That's cute. It's kind of true. Uh, <laughs> let's get into feedback, huh? Let's do it. Listener feedback. Yeah. Alright, this feedback is from Ryan. It says, uh, message, Hi, this is Ryan from San Ramon. I just listened to your top ten influential movie list. Two movies that you forgot to mention were important. One for its technical achievement, and the other one was important, not for the movie itself, but for the DVD. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was an astounding achievement. Ah, uh, good point. Not yeah. only in practical effects, but just for the fact that this is the only film that has two opposing mascots, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse, in the same frame. The other movie that is important was Titan A.E. Now, the movie itself was good in its own right, but it's the DVD release of the movie that changed how DVDs and Blu-rays are made today. Apparently, someone on the commentary track of Titan A.E. said something that offended someone out there. And so, that someone tried to sue Fox for the comment, even though they didn't make the comment. And so, with every movie that comes out to DVD, they have to have the disclaimer saying that the views in this feature are not represented by the blank company, its parent company, and its subsidiary companies. But I could be wrong about that. Anyway, thanks for the podcast, Ryan. That's I wonder cool. what was said on that commentary. Does anybody know? Oh, right. I don't know. Titan E was the Matt Damon uh, cartoon, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and our next pay, uh, piece of listener feedback comes from Bjorn. Uh, Bjorn. I love Bjorn. 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 The the glug. Man. Yes, the glug man. Which, if you if you guys had uh, listened to that episode of Nerds on History um, when they talked about glug, <laughs> um, he said, first of all, thanks for a great podcast and welcome, Roxy. Hi. Second, shame on you for having <laughs> for haven't seen Festin, the uh, which means the celebration. Yeah, uh, you've really missed a, f- a fantastic movie experience. I saw this Danish film back in 1998 when I uh, I was only 17 then, and I will never forget it. It blew me away. I hadn't read or seen anything about it beforehand, so I was completely unprepared for what awaited me. Won't spoil anything for you, but see it. Uh, One of the greatest of Nordic cinema. The film was one of the first made by the Dogma 95 rules some Danish director set up. Hmm. Keep up the good work with both podcasts and choke on it like John Voight. Best quote ever. (laughs) Yes! It is permeating the American (laughs) and world lexicon. There we go. Um, Choke on it like it's John. Yeah, so I really actually really want to see Festin now. Like, he actually just convinced me to go see it. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Bjorn. Very cool. Uh, We also have a... We got one from Lauren. Lauren sent uh, us these um, woodcuts that he's been making of movie actors, and they're actually really impressive. Yeah, links for them. They're pretty rad. Yeah, thank you for for sharing that. But if you want to go check them out on the website... Yeah, we'll we'll post them through uh, social media if you want to. Do you want to just read the website? Uh, You you can go to his website uh, address as well, which is uh, woodcuttingfool.blogspot.com. Yep. And you can see lots of his... Do uh, it! Lots of classic true golden age of cinema uh, movie stars. Um, do we have anything from our social media this week? Hey, uh, Dino wrote in and said, um, okay, so I just listened to the Disney episode, and I think that was the the fairy tale reboots. Yeah, yeah. And I feel 
that we do the backstory as a way to maybe think that the villain may not be the bad guy sure. or to prove justification as to why. Absolutely. I never read Wicked, but uh, as for the Wicked Witch of the West, I mean, hell, Dorothy kills her sister and all she wants are her sister's shoes. <laughs> but Glinda's like, snaps fingers, oh no, you don't, and puts this poor confused girl in the middle of this, like Glinda is the true villain. She takes Wicked Sister's shoes, gives them to a Kansian. Is that what people from Kansas are called? Kansa- Kansonian? Kansanian? <laughs> Kansasite, I think. Would be. Kansasite? That sounds like a disease. That sounds like a parasite, them, yeah. I call them tornado riders. Well, do you want to <laughs> call them Kansasian? Kansasian. Oh my God. Uh, flatlanders. Them- <laughs> They're fucking flatlanders. There That's what I, honestly what we call them out here in Colorado. Flatlanders. <laughs> yeah, uh, we live in the mountains and they come from the plains and we're like, fucking flatlanders. <laughs> Uh, gives him to a Kansian who has no idea where she's at and makes her go on this journey. Again, all the Wicked Witch wants are her shoes. But Glinda makes Dorothy go on this journey and kill the Wicked Witch just to be like, oh, thanks for killing her, by the yeah. way. Just tap your heels three times. Yeah. The dialogue was that simple. <laughs> like, the Literally, fuck I had the Glinda. party to go home the entire time. Um, I think she, she think it's just Kansan, not Kansian. Whatever. I love yeah. the part that says, Glinda, Whatever. I almost died. Just had to have to click my heels. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's why, because maybe the villains aren't the bad guys. So that's why they're doing the villain backstories. Or uh, they've done some fairy tales so many times, they just got to take a different approach. So you get either Maleficent or Hansel and Gretel, witch hunters, mm. etc. But I'm surprised they haven't done a Grim, uh, a Grim Brothers version of fairy tales yet. Oh, Sarah, I hope the grammar wasn't that of a second grader. So sorry. It was a little rambly, but we can do better. That's fine. Um, A movie suggestion, if you haven't seen it, Gangster Squad. It was such a good 1940s gangster movie. I highly suggest it. I've seen it, and it wasn't bad. Sean Sean Penn's pretty sweet. Yeah. We do have one from Facebook uh, from Erin. She says, thanks for all the knowledge and laughs from both podcasts. Many of my coworkers think I am insane uh, as I frequently laugh out loud while listening. Keep up the great work. Aw, thanks. Yep. Brett yeah. said what's up. He really liked That's right. What up, episode. Brett? And Brett was very excited, of course, with the announcement of Sean's engagement. Sean's oh, shit. Engaged. Yeah, we haven't even addressed that yet. We haven't addressed Sean's that yet. getting hitched, y'all. I know. What, what? I'm turning in my wedding tackle. Aww. Have you... Have, it's not on the market anymore, everybody. Sorry. Have you thought about time frame, anything like that? Yeah, it's probably going to be a couple years, honestly. we got a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of things that we're planning with Nerdonomy. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that my fiancé, it's still so new saying fiancé, mm. uh, that we have to get handled before it happens. But it's going to, from what I've heard from other friends that have had prolonged engagements like that, it, it, it comes faster than you think. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm your younger brother, so I'm going to say that I wish you nothing but the best. And it just makes sense, to be totally honest, after after seeing you and Gay together for as long I know, yes. You and uh, when you're, you're going to be here this week in his traditional and ancient Celtic fashion, uh, Katie and I will have to invite you into a three-way, which will happen uh, the first or second night that you're here. That's <laughs> that is extreme. Why did we get back on the incest topic? Um, oh, so, by the way, it's Sean... It's just my thing. I'm sorry. I just, I'm just going to ask, your gift, your surprise secret gift that it's arriving within like a day or two, save some for me when I get there. That's all I'm asking. Save some no, for me. Oh, it better be a big bag of cocaine <laughs> <laughs> uh it's just as good i promise you and probably equally as addicting but no it's not illegal so there you have it and uh until we meet again stay nerdy tune into us next week same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com bye See ya. Goodbye. peace and roll credits And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. This was no boating accident.